time is now 2.36 and you're listening to The 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Monday afternoon. And since it's Monday, I'm super, super excited uh, to bring back this week's Trash Talk for you. And this week on Trash Talk, Marcy Trentlong talks to eco-activist and also content creator Tanya Wessels about uh, eco-anxiety and how to deal with these feelings. Hello, Trash Talk listeners. Sometimes the more aware we are about trash pollution, the more we feel eco-anxiety about the future of our planet. To explain that term simply, it's anxiety, but it's over the environment. Yes, it does exist, and it even has its own 69-page review by the American Psychological Association. So here to talk to us a little bit more about eco-anxiety is eco-activist and writer Tanya Wessels. Welcome. Hi, thank Great you so much you for having on, me. Finally. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so just go ahead and tell us about your thoughts about eco-anxiety and kind of how you got into this subject. It crept up on me unbeknownst to me at the time. Now looking back on it, it makes perfect sense. However, in 2017, I was really waking up to the conversations and sustainability and the headlines and the news and the media and the movements. In Hong Kong, we had a lot of activity. People were zero wasting. People were very active and it made it had a lot of influences on me, some negative and some positive. But I, I do believe that there's a spectrum and we're all on it. Some of us are more aware of where we are on that spectrum than others. But nonetheless, there is a range of awareness and sensibility about the environment. My own experience really came to head uh, one day in a supermarket when I was looking at a packaged coconut and it had a little foam jersey jumper thing and it had another layer of plastic over it. And although this wasn't a new thing to me, I was paralyzed. My mind was racing. I was having visions of polar bears and waves and tsunamis and my legs were like lead and this dynamic frightened me and I removed myself from the supermarket and I went home and I looked up, um, I remember very distinctly typing in two words, plastic and panic. And this whole world of eco-anxiety opened up to me hmm. and a lot of things started making sense. Goodness. Okay, but now you're making me nervous. <laughs> Especially now during COVID, right? When everything is wrapped in plastic. But what are what do you feel like are some of the symptoms? How would I know that it's specifically eco-anxiety? And Well, I think if we take a step back and we look at what the word anxiety means, and anxiety is a feeling of unease or concern about an uncertain outcome. Now, there are some people have chronic anxiety and different kinds of anxiety, acute anxiety. Nonetheless, this is a fear over an un uncertain outcome. Consequently, it's really hard to manage, to diagnose. And if we put an ecological bent on that, then it makes, to me, it makes perfect sense. It doesn't feel like a, a mental illness or a, something's wrong with you. I think to be concerned about the environment is to be alive today, is to be aware of these things. Consequently, I'm mindful of how we frame this and to try and turn it into a disease or something. I don't feel that's the right way. So in my experience, I got uh, my awareness came quite late. So by that point, I had gone through a lot of the different <laughs> phases that can come with it. So two authors, eco-psychologists wrote a report, wrote an essay rather called um, The Waking Up Syndrome, where they described the process of eco-anxiety in phases. And over these six, six phases, which they likened to a, a process of mourning and a process of reconciliation, there are different degrees. And by the time I realized that I was 
experiencing it. I'd gone through anger, um, sadness, a lot of judgment, a lot of disharmony in my relationships because I was so anxious around everything. Like I said, plastic packaging, obviously. But with my husband, um, why are you eating that meat? Why are you buying this thing? Why are you doing that? Why, why, why? A lot of social media judgment. People should not do this. People should not do that. And I thought I was really woke. And I thought I was really on the crest of this new movement. Little did I know I was really drowning in my own sadness and anxiety around what I was perceiving around me. And what's interesting, so it sounds like maybe some of the people that you knew were on, as you had said, one side of the spectrum, but you were moving on to the other side of the spectrum. So part of that is dealing was dealing with that challenge. For sure. Like lots of people would have, you know, looked at me and said, what is the problem? And that to me would be like, well, what is not the problem? And on and on it would go. And some people um, were very supportive. Others were concerned. <laughs> But looking back at it now, to me, it's just the classic syndrome of all of this. And within the stages that they describe, there's denial, which is the first stage where you kind of don't, you think that there might be something wrong, but you're not really ready to address it. And then you can move on to being slightly aware that there's something wrong, but still addressing it would be too much hassle, too uncomfortable, too much of a change. So you keep on pushing it away. And then there's this moment of realization. And it can be a book, a conversation, a film a moment that really pivots you into the other direction where you realize, well, this is not something I can keep on kicking down the road. I need to address it. And then that unfazing comes through anger and sadness, realizing that one person can't really change everything. Consequently, what's the point? Um, and then moving on to feelings of acceptance and feelings of making peace with where the boundaries are of where your actions can affect things and how much you can actually take on board yourself. And this is psychological, emotional, practical, but it's two different degrees. This is not to say that unless you compost and recycle everything in sight, you're failing. Rather, it is an, an invitation for people to see where they feel called to act. And for some people that can be um, upcycling clothing, for some people that can be regenerative farming, for some people that can be picking up plastic on a beach. It doesn't really matter as much as the influence on yourself and your own feelings of empowerment and engagement that can then lead you into directions where you might take other people with you or you might just work by yourself. But I think getting out of your head and getting active for me was the big, was the big changing point. So getting out and doing something about it, that certainly has made me feel better, that's for sure. But then also, as you said, that acceptance that maybe other people may not be as engaged in it as you are, for instance. Sometimes it's a tough acceptance for zero wasters. It's a tough acceptance for NGO people who've dedicated their lives to it. You know, how did you get comfortable with that kind of acceptance? I think it becomes a, an existential philosophical conversation around, am I here to save people or change people or to be recognized as the person who does this and this and this? Or is my real point of power to quietly be doing it myself and to persuade other people rather than to badger or shame or hound or because I see groups who do that. I've done that. We've all been there. If it worked, <laughs> if it worked, life would look we very We wouldn't different. be here talking trash. Correct. Yeah. And I think there's, a, there's an art of understanding how humans uh, res respond and engage. 
And there are better ways of doing that than others. And we see this across the board. We see this with politics. We see this with lifestyle. We see this with gender equality. We see this in a number of different areas. People are in 2020, we're really waking up to so many things. And the environment is obviously part of that. But the, the, the psychology of persuading humans to do to change their behavior usually comes through positive reinforcement and and making it exciting and not telling people constantly what not to do. Um, but rather showing better alternatives and more engaging creative outcomes and really getting all hands on deck. And, of course, the effects are different. What one person can do in a community and what a, a country can do as a system, these are different conversations. But ultimately, again, it comes back to do you just want to feel better in your own role or do you actually – and do you also want to create systematic change, which might mean taking it a little bit further or, or – passing it on to somebody else who can take a little bit further. But I think the bottom line is still the same. Create opportunities and create engaging solutions rather than shaming and badgering and That's making right. people feel unworthy. And that we're very well said. And then also doing it to the point in which you're comfortable with yourself, with your family. And uh, we were just walking through actually – uh, TEDx is doing some shows in the fall, um, and we we're talking about what kind of talks those should be about climate change. And one of the things that occurred in doing this show is how many, how exciting it is to see the Hong Kong community rally around this problem, and that if they rally around waste, then it seems to me that they can also rally around climate change. They just haven't been given the the keys and the capabilities to do that. I don't know how you feel about Waste that. is a wonderful next stage of a process, rather. And I think there's a mental model that we have to reframe for ourselves. And, and again, with waste, what? It could be organic waste that we compost. It could be waste that we upcycle. It could be waste that we recycle. Not to keep on thinking of waste as an endpoint, rather really kind of redesigning our thoughts around it. I know it's, a, it's easier said than done. But a lot of this is around changing mental models, which people have a lot of resistance to doing. So part of the work that we that we are called to do is also to invite a new way of thinking. And that new way of thinking asks people to kind of unlearn what they've learned for a long time. And, and <laughs> that can be a really exciting space to be. Yeah, clearly. You've definitely made it that exciting space. So well done, you. Well, I want to have a good and happy life. And I, and I want to be and, – and I, and I don't – you know, as much as these things are hard and difficult, I do, I feel like I've worked myself through my own personal experiences with it. And I think that's the important part to acknowledge that it's happening, to get help um, and to get active and to, to move through it, not to get stuck and not to keep on running around in a loop and feeling consistently frustrated because you're not serving yourself, you're not serving your community, you're not helping. And that took me a long time to understand. So there you go, trash talkers. Remember, it is a spectrum out there. As Tanya said, there's some people that you are going to bring into um, our group of community of trying to make it a better world out there and a better planet. But there are some people that maybe aren't ready yet. So accepting that will make you less eco-anxious, I think. If someone has any issues of eco-anxiety that they feel they need to reach out to someone, do you have any recommendations, Tanya? Um, I would recommend becoming part of a community. There are a number of resources, be that for plastic people, be that for food, be that a number of different industries. For example, uh, Circular Community Hong Kong, we have a lot of members and we can definitely plug people in and help them find their right 
lane to to travel down. It's such a personal experience, and there is no one solution. And it gets the more you know, the more there is to know. So rather see this as a marathon and not a sprint, and really saddle up for the long run because. It's just the nature of the challenge, and and I do think that by reframing it, it's it's the helpful way. But if if you really do have severe problems, if you find that this is getting in the way of your day to day living, if it's interfering in your relationships, if it's interfering in your work, I would really recommend professional help, because it's really important. And there are people who are 100% trained to help you through what you need to be helped through. If it's something that you feel is is could be resolved through or could be helped through conversations. I know a few people who are running private chat groups, or, or not, not in person at the moment, but groups that offer just just a space to talk and just a space to be heard. They're not necessarily going to give you a thousand options, but maybe this process is first about being heard and being seen, and then seeing where that takes you next. I think a lot of people suffer in silence, and that really makes me feel sad. All right. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about that. You're very welcome. I, I'm very excited. Despite all our challenges, I think there's never been a better time to really rally together and to support each other and to think bigger. Yeah, I agree. You can find all the Trash Talk episodes on iTunes and the RTHK On The Go app. Thanks to our partners, Plastic Free Seas. Many thanks once again to Marcy Tretlong for this week's Trash Talk. And she was speaking to eco-activist Tanya Wessels about eco-anxiety and how to cope with these uh, feelings.